Amen. Everybody got their, you know what it, most of you don't know what it is yet, but you're, you're about to get a pencil, a number two pencil. Some of you haven't had one of these since you were in grade school. You're going to get one this morning. Amen. Everybody hold your pencil up if you got it. Amen. I want to preach to you for a little while and I hope that God will help me because if He don't, we're all in trouble. Judges chapter 5 and verse number 14. We pick up in the middle of a battle cry for God's people to come together to throw off the oppression of their enemy and Deborah had been anointed to be the leader but though she was a woman and could not go to battle she brought in Barak who could be that leader on the field and Deborah awakened God's people to go to the battlefield and so we pick up on uh, part of that narrative of what all was happening and she said or, or in it says and out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek or at least or say out of Ephraim there was a group of men there was there, they rose up against Amalek after thee, Benjamin, among thy people, and out of Machar came down governors, and out of Zebulun they that handle the pen of the writer. I want to talk to you for a few moments about they that handle the pen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, if you're a Bible student and you know anything about this particular passage, you will probably cut my legs out from under me because many scholars do not believe that the word pen was intended there. Uh, I say many. Some of them don't believe that that was the word intended, but it was the staff of the scribe. Uh, uh, there, uh, e but even in that interpretation, if you interpret that scripture uh, in that context, it still uh, leans itself toward the idea that somebody is going to be taking records, somebody is going to be writing out uh, how all of this was going to transpire. But I, I want to do something that I don't often do, and I just want to lift out of the context of this particular passage, this statement that is made at the end of this uh, verse, because it has uh, leaped out at me, and it has taken hold of my mind and my thoughts, and I want to share a few of them with you today. I want to talk about they that handle the pen of the writer. 
And I want you to consider along with that particular statement what the Apostle Paul said about you and I. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and in verse 3 of chapter 3, he said that you, you, you and I, you, are epistles written and read of all men. You are epistles. Now the question is, who's writing? Who is writing this epistle? And then the psalmist David said it like this in Psalm chapter 45 and verse number 1. He said, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. They that handle the pen. Each of you are holding a pencil today that within its possibilities there are endless stories that could be written. And the truth is that each of us are given one of these in our life to write the story of our life. Everybody gets that opportunity. Now some people abrogate that to somebody else to write their story. But I want to tell you something. God never gave somebody else a pen to write your story. He gave you the pen to write your story. Now you can allow your life to be affected by what other people write. And that's a sad tragedy about pencils. They can be used for the wrong reason. And instead of writing your story, you're spending too much time trying to write somebody else's story. Woo! I don't even want to go there. That's too much to cover for a little while we have. But there are people in this building today that your life is being affected right now by what other people are saying about you. By what other people are posting about you. And you're allowing your life to be influenced by what they're saying rather than in what you have the power to say and write about your story. They that handle the pen. Now I'm going to ask you a simple first grade question. Who has that pencil right now? You do? No. Not me. I do. I have this instrument that it can be used to write the story of my life. And so my question is, what kind of story 
am I writing of my life? What is the narrative that's being written this morning about who I am and what I am? You know, we live in fearful times. And if you've been paying any attention to all the uproar that's going on in our country right now, you're aware that we're in a lawless season. We're in a lawless time. And that's what the end time is. It's going to be a season of unending lawlessness that's going to culminate in an antichrist being elevated. So it's not going to get better. And we, for whatever reason, God has put us on planet earth at this time, at this moment, under these circumstances, under these pressures and fears and problems, God has put us here. Now, we could have been planted in the 18th century or the 15th century. We could have lived in the, ninth, uh, the, 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 the 15th or whatever. We could have lived in some other span of time, but God chose to put us in this era of time that is in the end of time, that is the wrapping up of time. And He put us here for a reason. So what is that reason? That we could write a story that would be contradictory to the times in which we live. That though we live amid fearful things, we are not going to be dominated by fear itself. That though we live amid chaos and turmoil and trouble... We are not going to be dominated by that turmoil and chaos because we have something in our hand that can determine something about our lives that the world cannot choose how that narrative is written. So my question is, what kind of story am I writing? I'm going to use some personal references this morning because some of the greatest testimonies of life and faith are sitting on these pews right now. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I am going to use some of you as an illustration today. I look back here at this white-haired man every service, and I see a man that has lived for God Faithfully, Now I have no idea what all this precious man has had to live through. I don't know what all they've had to face as a couple. I know this much. If they've had any experience in life like I've had, there's been a few tears that have been shed. And there have been a few heartaches. But that's not what they write about. What they write about is their faith and their belief in God that no matter what the circumstances of life are, they're not going to stop me from coming to the house of God. They're not going to stop me from praising God. They're not going to even stop me in my older age from being able to worship God as well as I can. And they're writing a story of 
faith where many are writing a story of fear and they're overwhelmed. Here I look back and I see a story that is being written that speaks to me that if they can do it, then certainly I can do it. That if they can make it through whatever they've had to face, then I can make it through whatever I'm facing. And remember, the pen is still in your hand today. I look back here at this man every service and I never cease to be amazed at the smile that's on his face. Most of you are not aware of all of the things, physical things that this man has to overcome to be in service. How many times have you been in the hospital in the last few years? Twelve, Twelve times in the hospital in the last few years. How many procedures, how many operations and yet every time I see him come through the door he's one of the first that gets up to the front to worship he's one of the first that shows me a big smile and hugs me and said I love you brother I love you pastor he's writing a story that's helping me rewrite my story because I may be overwhelmed by what I'm going through right now but I'm writing a story of of faith and confidence and joy amid all of the problems that I'm having to live through there's something still in my hand there's something still in my possession that the world cannot take away from me and that is the pen that I can use to write my story how many things has the devil planned against you to try to stop you to try to discourage you You've been through heartbreaks. There's many of you sitting here today that's lost your loved ones. And I've watched you as you've stumbled through that dark season of life. And yet you're still standing. Sister Peden, you encourage me every time I come to church and I see you up here. And I know you're up here always because that's your place. And I know that there are others. And I look across here at Sister Cox and Sister Jones. They lost their loved ones many, many years ago. But they've been writing a story of faith and, and, and confidence. And sometimes their bodies are so weak that they cannot get to church. But they're still writing a story. There's not a service that goes by that that precious little lady right there standing up in the back doesn't write me a text and say, Brother Hugh, what a word from God today. It doesn't matter how bad it was. It doesn't matter if I messed up my king's English. What she said was what lifted me and what she has done has encouraged me more than anything else that the world can say against what we represent here today. I I'm telling you, church, the pen is in your hand. And the question is, what kind of story are you going to write? Some of you have been writing a bad chapter. You know, when I, when I got to thinking about this, the first thing that popped into my mind is the statement, the pen is mightier than the sword. And I love to think, figure out who said that first. Well, don't know who exactly said it first, but there was a playwright that lived back, I think, in the 17th, late 17th century that wrote plays and that kind of thing. 
And he makes that statement, that line, in one of his plays that was presented. The funny part about that man is that everything he wrote was so convoluted that nobody could make sense of it. But he makes this one statement that's really true. The pen is mightier than the sword. Think about that. The pen is mightier than the sword. Every time the devil picks up something like a sword and tries to whack you down and cut you to pieces and, and destroy your confidence and take away your hope and take away your courage and he does everything he can to undermine your life so that you have no reason to keep going on that you have no reason to have hope you have no reason to be joyful I don't have any reason to be happy today brother Hughes everything's going wrong in my life you know what the problem is you're believing the wrong story that's been written and you've forgotten what you have in your own hand you have in your own possession today the ability to rewrite every storyline in your life and you have the ability in your life right now even though your last chapter may have been a disastrous chapter you have the ability to turn the page today and start writing a new chapter in your life because you still hold the power of that pen in your hand Number two, number two pencil. That ought to be a reminder of your position in all of this. You're not number one. So I need the direction of the one who is above to help me make this work properly. The tragedy is some of us have ignored that and acted like we were God. Didn't I read from the psalmist what he said about God when he created everyone? That wasn't just that little baby up here today. That's every one of us that's in this building right now. Every one of us, that's what that scripture says about each of us. That every one of us have that ability to, to, to understand who we are and what God has created us to be and what God has blessed us and anointed us to become. I see this white-haired lady and precious man, two of my favorite people, Mama B and T. They were in a good church, living in a good city. But they looked at their children and the environment, and they they wanted to put their kids in a better place where they had a better opportunity. And so they packed up and moved away from family, and all their friends to an ugly old place called Houston. Humidity, all that kind of garbage. But they did it because they were looking to the future. They wanted something better for their kids. And I don't know, I'm not prying into all the business. I'm not trying to embarrass them. But T and Aunt B, I want to tell you something today. The story that you have written has been an inspiration in my own life to know that I have I have an 
an opportunity. I have a responsibility to look around me at the kids that are I, I'm influencing. I, I'm, I'm having an impact on my kids by the way I'm acting, by the way I'm talking, by the way I'm living. I'm having an impact on their lives. And I'm telling them to come to church, but I don't always come to church. I'm telling them to live for God, but I don't always live for God. I'm telling them to treat people nice, but I don't always treat people nice. What am I saying? I'm saying that we better make sure that in the story that we're writing, that we're writing a consistent story so that when our children read it, they will know how to write their own story and they will know how to write their own life. Interesting thing about this. Yellow, that's a pretty color. And that wood, I don't know what it came from. My brother probably knows it. I love my brother. He knows everything. I'm so glad he's here today. Anthony and Brent and all their family. It's so good to have my relative, my family here today. What kind of wood do they make pencils out of? Ash? Poplar? I don't know. Anybody know? Teacher in here, do you know? It really doesn't matter if it's birch or oak. It's not the outside of it. Cedar. All right. Somebody Google it. Aren't you thankful we have Google in church now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. Now please don't. But you know the truth of it is? The outside of this doesn't write anything. It's what's on the inside that's writing my story. And there are people that spend all of their life on this right here. They gotta make it, they, they gotta make a good show. I, I have seen people that looked, looked, they looked, I wanna underscore that word, they looked holy. They looked godly. I re- they, they, whew, my mind's going everywhere right now. They, they looked like the perfect, perfect Christian. But oh my Lord, the inside of them was like a junkyard dog. And all it took was for something sharp to cut them and the inside came out. Years ago, years ago, we, we were in the shopping center and we didn't have but a handful of people. I will tell you this, a shopping center that we had for worship was probably as wide as this section and not maybe not quite as deep. Concrete floors, metal chairs. Uh, we did have pews, I think, maybe. I don't remember. It, it's been too long ago. I, you, you remember Sister Moore? 
We don't want to remember. <laughs> we do want to remember. But anyway, I remember this. We, we, we got out of that and we came into our first building. And we still only had just a handful, maybe 50, 60 people. I don't know. And we built that new sanctuary. I think it would seat about 250 people. It overwhelmed us. We didn't even put pews in the back of it because we couldn't even fill the front of it up. And, uh, but we did build it in faith that we were going to fill it up. And I remember one Sunday a young couple came in. They had moved in from Dallas. And I'm talking about they were the perfect couple. Handsome young man, beautiful wife, and three stair-step children that were drop-dead gorgeous little girls. I'm talking about, I, I, my, my, I just, I thought, oh my Lord, thank you God that you have blessed us with a brand new family. They're going to be such an asset to our church. They're going to be such a blessing to our church. All of that kind of burst though when I got a call at midnight on a Friday night that the police were at their house because of domestic violence. You see, they had spent all of their energy making sure this looked good. And we're impressed by this because this is all we can see. But here's how you judge. It's by what they write and they write from the inside out and the reason some people keep having trouble with that storyline we want to blame it on somebody else we want to blame it on a circumstance we want to blame it on our spouse we want to blame it on our kids we want to blame it on our job we want to blame it on our environment but the truth is it's because of what's on the inside that's coming out. So if you want a better storyline, do something about what's on the inside. Now the trouble with this thing is that you can't change what's on the inside of this. But God didn't make you and I like that. God made you and I in a way so that we could do something about the inside man. We could do something about our, our, our inner man. And though sometimes it raises its, my, my inner man raised its ugly head on the way to church this morning. And I thought, where in the world did that kind of thought come from? Where in the world did that come we into my mind from but that old man raised itself up but you know what I had the opportunity to come in here and come to an altar I had the opportunity to step into a worship service and allow the presence of God to worship, wash over me and, and help me redirect my thoughts and realign my life so that I could write the kind of story that I need to write amen You can be seated just a minute. I'm almost through. What are you leaving others to read about your life this morning? About your belief in God? About your belief in God? What are you writing about that right now? Will you, what do you mean, Brother Hughes? I mean this. That when you run up against circumstances that are too much for you do you cave into them 
or do you just find a way to get around them? Amen. What are you saying and what are you leaving others to read about your faith in God? Now, can God do it? We know God can do it. But what happens if God chooses not to do it? Baby girl, I remember when you were born. And I remember that day when you were 11 years old and you collapsed in our dining room. And I picked her body up and her head flopped back and her arms flopped out. And I carried her to the bathroom because she started convulsing. A brain hemorrhage that we weren't aware of. And so the next month we spent in Texas Children's Hospital. Most of my family know they were there. My brother James and sister Leanne were there. Leanne would stay with my wife. James would stay with me. We would take shifts going back and forth to the hospital. I remember sitting beside her bed in ICU, holding that crippled hand and praying for hours. God, heal this girl. God, touch her body. Straighten this hand. And I would open my eyes and look at that hand, and it was just like it was before I started praying. We don't know how to live for God when things like that happen. We don't know how to write the story when those things take place. And I remember one morning, James and I were walking in the dark. It was about four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. We had gone to a hotel for a couple of hours of rest. We were walking back across to the hospital. In, in my mind, I'm warring with all that had taken place. And I was wondering, selfishly and foolishly, God, what am I going to preach from now on? My daughter is laying in a hospital bed crippled. We prayed for you to heal her. I don't know how many people have prayed and prophesied that God was going to heal her. And I believe that one of these days God will. But as of this day, it has not happened. We don't like to preach about this. We like to ignore this part of life. And this is the part of life that destroys us and embitters us and makes us hate God and hate the church and blame everybody around us for what we are having to live through. But you listen to me this morning. There's going to be some stories, things about your story that are not going to turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. But you still have your pen in your hand. <laughs> you still have 
this pen in your hand. And the question is, what kind of story are you going to write when God doesn't answer your prayer? What kind of story of faith are you going to convey to another generation that I believe God no matter what happens in my life, that I trust Him even when I don't understand Him, that I'm going to be faithful to Him even when I can't find Him, that I'm going to worship Him when He does not answer me, that I'm going to sing His praises when the heavens are silent and I hear nothing, I hear nothing, I see nothing because God has not answered my prayer like I wanted. Walking across that dark parking lot that morning. Struggling with my own doubts and fears. As vividly as I am talking to you right now. As vividly as I am speaking right now. When I ask God, what do I preach from this moment on? He said, you preach what you've always preached. I have not changed. Only your circumstances have changed. Pick up that pen. I told you this a few weeks back. But there was an incident that happened in my own life, in my ministry that could have destroyed me. A man who tried to destroy my ministry. Who spoke against me. Accusing me of something that I did not do. But I was a young man and I had no way of defending myself. And I could have become a casualty just like so many others. Well, they hurt me. I'm not coming back to that church. God didn't answer my prayer. Why should I believe? Nothing's changed in my life. Nothing's happened. Nothing's different. I'm still, it's because you got the pen in your hand and God's not going to write your story for you. He's going to give you the opportunity to write it, but He's not going to write it. And I struggled with the same bitterness and the same anger and the same hatred that every one of you have battled with in your own life when people do things that hurt you. And if it had not been for a week away in a little old trailer by myself where I laid on the floor by the hours and I cried out to God to help me. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to live my life with this hurt controlling me. God helped me to get back on my feet and get the pen back in my hand and write my story. God is faithful. God is good. God is trustworthy. God is merciful. God is great. God provides. God is my helper. God is my shield. God is my protector. God. 
is my everything. Let's stand together. Some of you are letting what's happened to you write your story. And what's happened to you has hijacked the pen from your hand. And you're allowing it to write things that when your children see them, it's going to make them wonder. It's going to make them wonder. People hurt you. People disappoint you. You know what number two represents really? It's not just the position. It's the hardness of the lead. Number two is a softer lead that makes your mark more legible. Now there are harder pencils. Architects use them for fine design, but it's hard. And they say that you never want to take an SAT test with a number three pencil. Because of its hardness. That it's difficult once you make a mark to erase it. And so the computer picks up smudge marks. Even though you may have changed your mind or your answer. There's a danger in hardness and there are people in this place today that your circumstances have hardened you to the place that you're not going to be broken you're not going to let God's tenderness touch you and I'm just praying today that there would be a change in your heart and in your spirit because it is important that you and I be able to be touched by God and that we are not so hardened and we are not so brittle. It's in your hands what kind of story are you going to write? It's in your hands. Some of you say, well, Brother Hughes, I can't, I can't go back. No, you can't go back. You're just going to have to turn the page and start writing another chapter. But, but I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many things wrong. I've done, I've hurt, I've done things bad to people. I understand that. But you can't go back and erase those things. You've got to just turn the page. And you've got to keep writing. And here's the miracle of all of this writing that you're doing. That the writing that you're doing, when it's wrong and you come to an altar and you cry out to God, God takes His mercy. My brothers preached about it. And he takes that sponge of mercy and he wipes that slate clean 
so that all of those bad marks that you made, all of those mistakes that you made, He erases the evidence. Yeah, He erases that. That's the wonder of an altar. That's the wonder of the mercies of God. That no matter what I've done in my life, I can come to an altar and I can cry out to Him and I can ask Him for His mercy and His forgiveness and He will take that sponge and He will wash out those marks that I have made so that when I pick up my pen to write again, I will write a better story. I don't know how to end this today. I don't know how to invite you to come, but I believe there's some people in this building that have an opportunity of rewriting the story in your life. It's in your hands. I said, it's in your hands. They that handled the pen, they that handled the pen, what kind of story? Are you going to write? I tell you what I want to do. I want to write a story of His mercy. I want to write a story of His goodness. I want to write a story of His unfailing faithfulness. I want to write a story of His truth. I want to write a story that when everything else is shaken, God is never shaken. Come on. Come on, what kind of story are you going to write today? Come on, come on, come on, God. I need you to help guide me. I need you to help inspire me. I need you to help direct my thoughts and direct my spirit so that what I write, Lord, it will be true. And what I write, it will be faithful. And what I write, it will be consistent. Would you find a place to pray? All of you in this building today, would you find a place? Oh, Jesus, I don't, I don't want bitterness or hatred. I don't want anger or wrath writing my story. I don't want jealousy or envy to write my story. I don't want any of those hijackers to write my story. Oh, I don't want disappointment to write my story. I don't want unbelief to write my story. I don't want fear to write my story. I don't want fear to write my story. Oh, God. I want faith to write my story. I want worship to write my story. Oh, Lord, I want your help today. I want your help today. I want your help today. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. My Savior and my friend. Oh Lord, that Lord, you are with you are me. You are with me. You are with me. You are with me, and you will be with me to the end. No matter what the days may bring, no matter what may happen in my life, I don't want to ride of bitterness. I don't want to ride of hatred. 
I don't want to write of jealousy. I don't want to write of anger. I want to write of joy. I want to write of peace. I want to write of righteousness. I want to write of hope. Oh, Holy Ghost, come today and help us. Oh, God. I've made mistakes in my life, Lord. I've made, I've, I've written some terrible chapters. Oh God, would you help me to start a new chapter today? Would you help me to write a better story? Would you help me, Lord, to write a better narrative? Would you help me today? Would you help me today? Would you help me today? Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, Jesus, that I've learned to trust you, oh Lord, precious Jesus, you're my Savior and you're my friend, yes I know, I know that thou are with me. And you will be with me. And you will be with me. To the end. Hallelujah. 